In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You can be seated. Oh. So glad to see you this morning. I know it was rainy outside. I know, I hope there's a lot of folks watching online because of that. So thankful to have all of you with us today. When I was in seminary, one of my professors told a story that I've never forgotten. The details may be a little fuzzy, but the story is true. This professor had been a youth minister, and he went to the hospital one day to see one of his students. And it happened that there was another student there at the hospital that he knew. Now, this other student, the second student, was um, uh, on the fringe of the youth group, probably because he was one of the cool kids at school. But uh, nevertheless, he was in the ER because of a broken leg. And uh, this, this, um, I don't know if it was skateboard or if it was football practice or whatever it was, but my professor knew him, and so he popped in, said hello, and said, oh, let me, let me pray for you. Dear God, please help heal John's leg and let him know how much you love him. Amen. No big deal, right? He didn't squeeze real tight in his prayer. He didn't, he didn't summon the Holy Spirit or anything. He just, just quick prayer. Hope you all are well. God bless. And he went off to see the student he had come to see. Well, he, that visit finished, and he left, and he passed the room again with this second student and noticed there was a lot of commotion, a lot of chatter uh, from the family. So he popped his head in again and saw that the boy was white as a sheet. The doctor had just left, totally confused. First x-ray, broken femur. Second x-ray after the prayer, not broken. Nothing wrong with it, as if it, nothing had ever happened totally healed. True story. So I want to ask, what, I should say, who is this story about? Is it a story about a kid whose leg got healed? Or about a youth minister who prayed? Or is it ultimately the story of the God who healed the leg? This morning, I want for us to focus on the Old Testament passage, which we often call the parting of the Red Sea, or maybe the crossing of the Red Sea. But it's really not about the Red Sea, or even about Moses or the people who crossed. This is a story about God who parted the Red Sea. It's not a story for us to learn how to part the St. John's River. If we just, you know, have enough faith or pick the right stick and hold it up, you know, if you want to cross the St. John's River, you're going to need the Buckman Bridge or a boat, right? But, so this is not a story to instruct us about what we can do. This is a story to teach us probably lots of things about God, but there's two particular things that I want for us to focus on. About the God who parted the Red Sea, and who, frankly, could part the St. John's River if he wanted to. Not the point. Our passage picks up after the Hebrew people have left Egypt. You'll remember that they were enslaved by Pharaoh and they had cried out to God to save them from the terrible conditions they were in. So God raised up Moses. He sent 10 destructive plagues to wear down Pharaoh's resolve. And then Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, headed towards the promised land. This was a massive undertaking. 
Before our passage, we're told in the scriptures that that the Hebrew people were 600,000 men besides women and children. If you can imagine the entire metropolitan population of Jacksonville walking together down I-10, except with, instead of pine trees, you've got a desert with scrub brushes. That's about what we're talking about. Massive undertaking. And so Moses is at the front, but it's really God that's leading them, right? A pillar of cloud by day. It lights up at night, a pillar of fire. We're also told uh, in the earlier scriptures that uh, rather than taking the direct route, northeast, in which they would have had to fight the Philistines, they decide to take the southeast route to the Red Sea. And that is when Pharaoh changed his mind because he took what was left of his army after these plagues. It was about 600 men with chariots and their horses, and he takes off to go and retrieve his slaves. So as we pick up the passage, the Israelites are trapped. The Egyptian chariots are bearing down on them from behind. The Red Sea is in front of them, impossible to cross. They can never outrun the chariots to the right or to the left. What seemed like freedom and sure success now seems like certain failure. At best, more slavery awaits them. At worst, death. I wonder if you can imagine the the fear that the people must have had in that moment. The panic is swept through that massive crowd. And if you can imagine it, I wonder if that's because this sort of illustrates a situation that you might have had in your own life, a time when you felt trapped. Maybe not between an army and an ocean, but between a rock and a hard place sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't moment in your life, these people were trapped. They were not capable of fighting. They were not capable of running. They could not swim. They could not save themselves. They had to have God act on their behalf. And it is into this scary, no way out moment, as is so often the case, that God inserts himself into the equation. So the first thing that we see about God in this passage is that he comes between his people and their enemy. We see about God that he comes between his people and their enemy. In the moment of danger, in this moment of fear and chaos, the pillar of cloud, which had really been the one who led the Israelites into the trap, right? The pillar of cloud moves behind the Hebrews in order to protect them from the Egyptians who were bearing down on them. He holds back the attack of the enemy. Now, I think it must be obvious to each of us that this is not promising that God doesn't let bad things happen to his people. We've all lived enough life that we know that that's not how it works. This action of God holding back the attack of the enemy It reminds me of another biblical story, one that you may be familiar with, and that's the story of Job. If you remember, Job had enormous wealth, an incredible, wonderful family, successful businesses, and he is exceptionally faithful to God. In fact, so much so that God brags about it to Satan. Had you seen my man Job? 
And Satan says, well, I mean, yeah, but of course he's faithful. You've given him all this stuff. And so to prove, to prove that he is faithful relationally, not because of the stuff, God actually gives Satan permission to attack Job. He also gives him some parameters. And so Satan does attack Job, and, and Job suffers mightily. Even though it's within the parameters, he suffers mightily. He loses his family. He suffers painful illness. And of course, Job cannot see it at the time, but there is godly purpose in the suffering that God allows for him. Let me tell you, if you are in Christ, then the hand of our good and loving God is so firmly upon you that nothing will happen to you apart from his permission. I mean, I just marvel to wonder at how many times God may have stayed the hand of the enemy against me or kept me from a tragedy of my own making uh, when I was never the wiser about the bullets that I dodged. This must also mean that when some evil does happen to us, when tragedy strikes or whatever, whatever way that is, that we can know that God is at work according to his good purposes, even when we cannot see the goodness. I I know that's a hard pill to swallow. But it is true. And in fact, it is comforting to know that God stands between us and the enemy and nothing can get to us apart from his good permission. The first thing we see about God in this passage is that he comes between his people and the attack of the enemy. The other thing that we see about God in this passage is that God makes the way where there is no way. God makes the way where there is no way. God sees a way where we cannot even see it. God is not surprised by the attack of the Egyptians. He does not think, oh gosh, I I read the map wrong and brought them to the Red Sea. This is the moment he's been waiting for all along. He's going to save his people. His plans for his people will not be thwarted by little things like armies and oceans. Now, if you think about it, he could have just sent another plague back to Egypt and finished the job, right? His people would have read about it in the newspaper the next day, maybe. But the people had to see it. They had to experience the salvation in order to believe it. And so at the command of God, Moses raises his staff and the sea parts and the people have a way forward on dry land, away from their enemies, towards their destination. God made the way where there was no way. That's his specialty. It's his specialty. I've told the story before of a girl that I dated in college that I was sure I was going to marry until we broke up. And I was devastated. But if I had gotten what I wanted then, then I would not have met and married Amy. I wouldn't have my three wonderful children. God was in control all along. I've told the story before of how I was turned down in one track towards ordination only to be led on another. I've told the story before of being passed over for a job that I thought I should have gotten 
only to find out later that there was this beautiful church on the river in Jacksonville, Florida, looking for a rector. Over and over in my life, and probably in yours as well, I have seen God close doors that I wanted to walk through, would have walked through, only for God to open up a door that I had never seen. God makes the way where there is no way. That's his specialty. If you think about it, the people did not come to the shore of the Red Sea expecting to walk across it. They would have gotten there and thought, well, this is pretty. Now we're going to have to walk around the whole thing. Right? They, they didn't think they were going to catch the ferry. Right? They would have walked around it, but it was the adversity of the Egyptian attack that precipitated the crisis that closed the door on what they would have done so that the people of God could do nothing but watch God work. They never could have imagined how he was going to do it, but God made the way where there was no way because our God is a God who delivers his people. I think this, this must point us ahead to the cross and the empty tomb. Because that's the ultimate story of God saving his people from the enemy bearing down. The ultimate story of God making the way where there was no way. The ultimate story of God's deliverance. For we are all standing on the, on the shore of God's righteousness and unable to cross. Sin and death are bearing down on us and We are unable to solve the problem, but God has put his cross between us and his judgment. Death and judgment seem like the only door to walk through. But the empty tomb declares that our God is a God who delivers his people from the enemy. So the parting of the Red Sea, like every other miraculous account, is not a story about a miracle. It's a story about the God who performed the miracle to deliver his people. And yet, our passage ends with these words, so the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord. The people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord. The kid in the ER with a broken leg told you he was white as a sheet. God had certainly made a way for that kid where there was no way. That kid ran from God. He did not respond the way you would expect. He ran from God. He did not. It freaked him out. He'd have rather gone through physical therapy. You know, like he, he did not want God messing with him like that. I think he, if I remember the story, he did end up coming to Christ maybe years later. I don't know. But when God makes the way, sometimes the, the, the door he opens is just as scary as the one he closed. I mean, can you imagine standing on the shore, seeing the sea open up and like, all right, let's go. Walls of water on every side, wondering if it's going to crash down on us. I mean, when God holds back the enemy and makes the unexpected way, it is so that we may fear and believe in the Lord. It is so that we may learn to trust that he is going to get us to the other side in this life or the next. So how will this true story inform our faith? How will we respond to God's grace? How will we respond when God opens up the unexpected way? May we walk forward in faith, trusting that the God who delivers his people will get us to the other side.
Amen.